So, Matt, did you know that beer actually makes you smarter? Yeah, because I'm a genius. Well, I mean, it it made Bud wiser. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now, pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is Graveyard Tales. All right, everybody, here we are again. Matt, how you doing tonight, brother? Man, I'm great. Good deal. Uh, it, yeah, been a been a good day. Been looking forward to being back in the graveyard. Oh yeah, me too. I'm I am glad to get in here. Um, it's been freezing rain and everything out there. Um, I don't understand it, but we had another ice storm, and you know, um, we had we're babysitting our two year old niece. So if you hear screaming in the background, we're not murdering anybody. That's a two year old somewhere. Yeah in the house but I, yeah I've, I've got a short rant i know i know this is this is my uh for everybody who hates that we ramble sometimes <laughs> this is this is for you okay so something happened today and you know i'm always thinking you know what nothing ever just totally weird happens to me that i can share on the show I, this happened to me today and i told you about it and i told amanda now i'm not going to mention the brand because i really dig this brand i I drank Monster Energy drinks for a long time, and I found, or Amanda actually found, this particular brand, which is a well-known brand, and they make other products. I love their energy drinks, okay? I, I love them. Well, yesterday, I was in a little market, and I found, like, at least three new flavors that I have not seen yet, okay? And so, I picked up two of them. And one I had yesterday, and I saved one for today. The flavor for today was lemon, okay? It was actually a candy lemon. And I have to say, out of all the energy drinks I've tried, this is the absolute most disgusting flavor <laughs> I have ever tried. It, you know that, that, you know that taste that you get in your mouth after you vomit? Yep. Yep. Okay. That's what it tasted like, and then you spray lemon pledge in your mouth. <laughs> oh, so it was it was lemon cow bile. What? Oh God! It, I, let's let's put it this way: I opened that thing at eleven o'clock, driving around, and uh, I finished it. Well, actually, I didn't finish it. I was close to finishing it around four o'clock. <laughs> okay, I sipped on it all day because I wanted the caffeine. Mm -hmm. I needed the caffeine. Um, but it was just, it was so horrific. I'd have either got a, a new one and trashed that or just <laughs> chugged it holding my nose. Now look, I mean, I, the other flavor I got was Arctic snow cone. Yeah. It was fantastic. So I thought, how can I go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> That's how. <laughs> oh my God. Yep. I've had that before. Uh, we get a little uh, uh, house cleaning out of the way, and then I got a story for you too. 
Um, we want to uh, say go check out the Podbelly Network at podbelly.com. We're proud to be members of the Podbelly Network. You can go find some shows that you may not normally run across over there. So proud members of the Podbelly Network. And um, we also want to thank tonight's sponsors, Fields, AMC Shutter, and Preply. And we'll talk a little bit more about them later. All right, Matt, real quick, as a uh, as a story, I, I don't remember if I mentioned this to you or not, but I know I didn't tell you the details, so I could tell you here. You know I've had issues with what I think is abnormal, if not paranormal, activity with the garage yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Garage door leading out into the garage, just opening on its own, even when it's locked. Um, it happened to me. It happened when me, Ashley, and Michael were sitting in the living room and we saw it happen. And then it locked Ashley out one day when I was up here recording. Well, the other night, um, Ashley and I actually went out on a date. Uh, we went and did a cooking class. And we got back at 10 something or whatever. 1130, we're laying in bed, and uh, all of a sudden, our phones go off, both of them, at the same time. So we're like, well, that's weird, and we look at it, and it's our alarm system with a notification that says, unexpected activity, garage door open. This is not the one leading into the house. This is the actual garage door. It yeah, said our big one. Yeah, it said our garage door had opened, and we both went crap you know and of course i'm thinking somebody has gotten into the garage and then their next step is into the house right so i get up and ashley's like well do you want me to turn off the alarm i said not yet don't do it yet so i go and i clear the house you can imagine what that looks like in boxers um (laughs) you know going around each corner and everything well clear the house Obviously, there's nobody in the house because our alarm would have started blaring if somebody had opened the inside door. But I had to check. So then I went and got her and I said, "Okay, come stand at the bottom of the steps with your phone and your sidearm. Just in case. And she's like, "Okay." I I said, I'm going to open the front door. I'm going to see what it looks like. Then I'm going to the garage. Right. So we turn off the alarm and I stand there and wait to see if somebody jiggles the door handle or anything like that. Well, I go out the front door and peer around the corner. Garage doors closed. So I said, well, that doesn't mean anything because they could have opened it and closed it so that it's not right. Right. It doesn't look odd. And so then I come back in. I go around to the garage door and I said, "Okay, here's the here's the worst part. This is the part that's going to be bad if there's somebody in the house. So my heartbeat starts going, you know, and I said, all right, let's go. And I flung the door open and poke into the garage and flip on the light. Nobody. All right. I get down on the ground and look under the, the car. Nothing. I'm like, all right. So I go back in, lock, turn the alarm on, all that for a malfunction. The, the <laughs> alarm system malfunctioned. And then I couldn't get back to sleep for like an hour and a half because, you know, all that. But but your door door had opened, though, in the past. Yes, it has in the the past. past, It has actually opened Mm -hmm. and that had nothing to do with the alarm. No. So fortunately, this was just a malfunction, but still something was causing your door to open. Yep. But it makes me think, 
why would that sensor have malfunctioned? Could it be whatever is causing the garage door to open that tripped that sensor? Yep. So, huh? I'm I'm curious. I don't I don't know. Because the next night, no, two nights later, we got something saying the inside garage door had opened. But, of course, it didn't because the alarm didn't go off. It was just a, a notification that tripped that sensor. So, I'm thinking there's something paranormally what if something weird. What passed through it? See, that's what I'm wondering. If something passed through it and set off that weird, that sensor in the door. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't like, know. I was thinking, y- y'all's house is not that old. No. Um, and you don't really think about newer homes with paranormal activity, but um, briefly, I'll tell you this. Uh, today, I was I was reading on um, one of my one of my local uh, area uh, Facebook groups that there is an apartment complex just down the street from us uh-huh. that's not all that old. Um, it, it's probably been there 20, 25 years, if that, mm-hmm. and they have had a ton of paranormal activity all over this complex, really? all kinds of stuff. Um, apparitions, lights flickering, doors closing. I mean, multiple people in multiple apartments in multiple buildings in the complex. That's wild. Really bizarre. Now understand there is a cemetery right there mm-hmm. at the thing and i don't mean like neighborhood sim- i mean this is like an old old cemetery because all of that land you know 150 years ago was a plantation yeah yeah so it, it's really I, I you know it's funny i thought i i never would have considered it i never would have thought about it and then when i saw how many comments were on this person that said hey has anybody Mm-hmm. had any paranormal activity at this particular apartment complex and i was like oh there's like 75 comments i gotta read this <laughs> yeah yeah that's wild i mean i'm gonna have to do what i always tell people to do when they ask us about paranormal activity i've got to go check the history of the land here yeah because i don't uh, know wait. what this was before yeah and you know that was one thing about this and and the area where where uh, i live is the the history of the land in in our town is well documented. Yeah. So you you pretty much know what was there um a hundred years ago, two hundred years ago, mm-hmm. and how the land was used. And you know, you've got a really good you've got a, a, a really good snapshot of what this area was like and you can see the potential. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if the my ghost up there from Tennessee, Frank, followed me here. Ah, uh, maybe. I accidentally packed him away and brought him with me. <laughs> you had that. Uh, what? What was the? What was the ghost trap thing? What didn't it have oh, a name? Yeah. In Ghostbusters. I think I so. I can't remember either. All right, let's take a minute and let's talk about one of tonight's sponsors, Feels CBD. Now, Feels is a better way to help you feel better. Their premium CBD will keep your head clear and help you feel your best. Now, you've heard a lot about CBD, and CBD has been proven to greatly reduce anxiety, pain, and sleeplessness. But getting into the world of CBD 
can be a little complicated. So Fields tries to make the process simple so that you can start feeling your best sooner. So if you're new to CBD, you're not sure where to start, Fields has a free CBD hotline to help guide you through the process so you know you're taking the right amount for the problem you're trying to fix. That's exactly right. And that's the thing that I know you dealt with, Matt, and, and I dealt with too when I first got into taking CBD, is you may take some and you're like, well, this doesn't work. Well, it's because you didn't have the right dosage. And their CBD hotline will help guide you through that with their professionals that they have to help you and it'll it'll help you get the right dose for you and i mean i i deal with chronic neck pain i had an injury years ago in the factory i worked in and i deal with chronic neck pain i don't like taking a lot of stuff for it so the only thing i have found that works is cbd and feels cbd is the best i can take it and within a few minutes those muscles in my neck relax and the pain goes away it also is nice because it helps with some of the anxieties I have with going out shopping and all that. But that's because CBD is naturally helps reduce stress, anxiety, pain, and sleepless, sleeplessness, and there's no hangover, and there's no addiction to it. So all you do is place a few drops of feels under your tongue, and you can feel the difference within minutes. And like Matt was saying, the thing to remember is that finding your right dose is key, and that's... I can't stress this enough. The hotline for feels. You don't get that with any other company. So if right. you're if you have any questions, just call up their hotline and you can join a monthly membership so it makes your self-care easier and you'll save money on every order and you can pause or cancel at any time. So if you feel like you want to do this and you want to become a member of Feels, all you got to do is go to feels.com, F-E-A-L-S dot com slash grave, G-R-A-V-E, and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. Right. That's feels, F-E-A-L-S dot com slash grave, G-R-A-V-E, to become a member and get 50% automatically taken off your first order with free shipping. Feels.com slash grave. All right. Well, that, that was a, a long rant, but at least it had stuff to do with paranormal activity. Yeah. So, uh, hey, you got you guys haven't gotten one of these in a while. So, no, that's true. It, it's been a while. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> So, Matt, on that note, why don't you tell us, what are we talking about tonight, brother? Okay, so tonight we uh, decided that we are going to look into some lesser known cryptids. I'm so excited about this one. This is, this is like the, 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 the D list of, yeah. of cryptids, yeah. okay? Um, these are the ones that we, that we've, we've heard about, we've read about. There's no way there's enough information for us to fill out an entire episode. Um, so we decided we would just take a bunch of them and talk about all of them. Because even though there's not a lot of information, there is still a lot of interesting information, sightings, and legends related to these cryptids 
that's worth talking about. Right. Um, and the other cool part of this one, and we've done this in the past, um, Adam and I have researched completely different things. So he doesn't have all the info that I've got. I don't have all the info he's got. So we're going to be learning along with you guys. Right. And one of the things that I found uh, while doing this, and I'm sure you ran into the same thing, Matt, is that since these are so obscure, that there isn't that big variety of information that we would normally get on a cryptid. So, yeah, you've got multiple sources that talk about it, but every source says about the same thing or has the same sightings. So just bear in mind as we go through these, it's not going to be, you know, 45 minutes on one cryptid like we've done in the past. We'll, We'll be able to cover the all of the information we've got pretty quickly and then if you check our sources, like we always tell you to do, bottom of the show notes, check our sources, you may see a couple sources, but those sources are going to say pretty much the same thing. Exactly. So without further ado, um, let, let's get rolling on this. What do you say? I say let's go for it. I'm excited. All right. So the first one uh, I'm going to talk about tonight is right here in the U.S. in Georgia, and it is the Altamaha. I love that name. Sounds like a bro, you know, a broken down Nissan. You know, it's like a prank Nissan. It's yeah. the Ultima Ha Ha. It, it's it's a cryptid <laughs> that would be in the Simpsons. The Ultima Ha Ha. Yeah, exactly. Now, it's the Ultima Ha is is famous in the uh, the mouth of the Ultima Ha River in southeastern Georgia, and it is said to be a a hissing sea monster. That is a direct quote. Hissing nice. sea monster. All right. In 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 the Altamaha River. Um so it of course is named for the river or Alti for short. Um, I would think its short name would be Ha because it's in the <laughs> Altamaha River and it's the Altamaha Ha. That's so right. why won't they just call it Ha? I don't know. I they didn't they didn't ask me when they named it. So Georgia I, people, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> now the legend of the Altamaha predates the British and English colonization, and it's said to have originated with the Lower Muscogee Creek tribe. So this is you know the, this is a Native American cryptid mm-hmm. essentially. Yeah. Now. The Altamaha River is one of the largest rivers in the state of Georgia. It extends 137 miles. It empties into the Atlantic Ocean, and it has one of the largest river basins in the U.S., second only to the Mississippi River. That's cool. Yeah. Now, the Altamaha the is said to inhabit um, the various streams and channels of the river and the adjacent marshes, particularly around Darien. Butler Island and elsewhere in McIntosh County. Now it seems appropriate that a creature inhabits that inhabits the water around Darien is very similar to Loch Ness because the town of Darien was founded by Scottish Highlanders from the shores of Loch Ness in Scotland. Oh, wild! So. The legends are very similar, and the descriptions are very similar to Nessie. Hmm. Now, but there are there are some there are some subtle differences. Now, did they bring a baby Nessie over? Do you think <laughs> maybe they just dropped it off? 
maybe. I said, you, you can live here, you know, and enjoy it. Yeah. Like releasing goldfish. Be quit free. Eating, quit eating haggis. And yeah, right. Come down and get some, get some biscuits and gravy. Amen. <laughs> Release now, it. And they're like, from whence you came. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. So now this creature is described as having a sturgeon-like body. Uh, including a bony ridge on its top. So mm. that right there tells you it, it could be a sturgeon. Could be, yeah. Um, it's got front flippers and no back limbs of any type. It swims like a dolphin, so it's kind of up and down. Yeah. Um, and it has the snout of a crocodile. You know, now it sounds like a big alligator gar. Kind of does, um, yeah. It's got large protruding eyes and large sharp teeth. Its coloring is said to be gray or green with a whitish yellow underbelly. And reports indicate that it is 20 to 30 feet long. Oh, wow. That's big. Yeah. That's really big for a, a river creature. Mm-hmm. But some have reported seeing smaller or larger creatures, which suggests there's more than one. Family unit. Yeah. Yeah. Now, it has reportedly been seen basking itself on the shore, trolling casually along the river, and has even reacted defensively while in the presence of boaters. Huh. So it bumps boats and things like that. Yeah, it's yeah. it's not jumping up, snatching a fisherman off of his John boat or nothing, but it, right. it has been known to bump boats. Just kind of a get out of here kind of mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. Though no physical evidence of the Altamaha has been found, the the stories date back for hundreds of years, with the Native Americans describing a giant snake-like creature that hissed and bellowed. So there's your hissing sea serpent mm-hmm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the first non-Native American reports of the creature was on April 18th, 1830. See, I told you, this goes way back. Yeah, it does. And that was when a correspondent of the Savannah, Georgian newspaper reported multiple sightings of a sea monster on the Georgia coast. The primary eyewitness was Captain Delano of the schooner Eagle, who reported seeing a large creature off of St. Simon's Island below the mouth of the Altamaha River. His description described it to be about 75, 70 feet long. Its circumference was about the size of a barrel. It, it in the in the description it says a hog's head. Oh well. Yeah. And I thought, well that's not that big. And then they go on to explain, yeah, but a hog's head is a barrel. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> oh, I'm I'm showing my ignorance now. Yeah, right. Um yeah. But it said the head resembled that of an alligator. Five other men on the schooner also reported having seen the same thing as well as several planters on St. Simon's Island. So this story was verifiable with multiple witnesses yeah. in different locations even. Yeah, you got a lot of sightings in one. Right. That's cool. Now, in the 1920s, timbermen riding the river reported seeing a large snake-like water monster, and in 1935, a group of hunters spotted what they called a giant snake swim through the river. In the 1940s, Boy Scouts reported seeing the creature as well as two officials from the Reedsville State Prison from the 1950s. So these sightings have been consistent. 
It's it's not, hey, there were a bunch of sightings here for about a year, and then it went dormant for about 10 or 15 years. We see that in a lot of these cryptid yep. stories. Yep. This has been pretty consistent, which makes me kind of think if it's if it's real, then it's probably reproducing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It wouldn't it wouldn't be consistent for all those years if it wasn't. You know, it, right. it's it would the 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 cryptid itself is highly unlikely. Yeah. You know, it just it being the fact that it, it's a river monster of that sort, it's highly unlikely. But then for it to be several hundred years old mm-hmm. it is even more unlikely so you're right it at, at that point you have to think okay maybe it is reproducing if it's real then it has to be reproducing which means there has to be several of them yeah and that's that would explain some people reporting larger ones some people reporting right. smaller ones right but dig some of these sightings in 1969, two brothers were fishing on the Altamaha River at Clark's Bluff. They reported seeing an animal that they first thought was a sturgeon, but quickly changed their mind when they got a better look. Stating that it measured about 10 to 12 feet long with a snout like an alligator and a horizontal tail. They also described the creature as having a triangular ridge along the top of its body, sharp pointed teeth, and being gunmetal gray in color. Hmm. Now, in the summer of 1980, two men reportedly saw the Altamaha stranded on a mud bank near Cathead Creek. They reported that the animal was lying halfway in the water, thrashing and trying to free itself from the bank. They described it as being dark colored with rough skin and about 20 feet long. While watching, the creature freed itself, submerged, and disappeared. Well, that's an interesting now, situation. It, it could be a lot of things, but when we're talking about something that's 20 feet long, you start to go, huh, could a sturgeon get that big? Yeah. I, I don't know. A, a river sturgeon at 20 feet long. Yeah, that that's That'd be huge. Enormous. Yeah. So later that same year, in December of 1980, another man reported having seen what he thought was the Ultima Haha in Smith Lake. His description said the animal was 15 to 20 feet long, snake-like with two brown humps that protruded from the water and left behind a wake like that of a speedboat. Okay, so now we know it's not only big, it's fast. And another report in the 1980s described by a crab fisherman said the creature looked like, quote, the world's biggest eel. Hmm. Now, they, they, do, they keep coming. Um, and this one comes from 2002, a man was pulling a boat up river, uh, near Brunswick and he reported seeing something over 20 feet in length and six feet wide break the water. Yikes. Six feet wide. Whew. In 2010, an amateur photographer captured a video of something strange swimming in the channel off Fort King George historic site in Darien. So, I mean, we've got, we've got sightings that are hundreds of years old we've got sightings that are about 12 years old um and they're all pretty consistent um that's the amazing thing yes they they describe i mean even even bigfoot sightings they vary Mm -hmm. you know tremendously with with color behavior sounds the way it walks all that yep 
These are consistent. Alligator-type snout, anywhere from 10 to 20 to 30 feet long. Um, similar coloring, the, the bony ridged skin, any of that, they, they all are consistent with what they're describing. So that makes me think, I think exactly what you're thinking, Adam. This is not a cryptid. This is mm-hmm. uh, this is some other, you know, this is a species or a, uh, maybe a relative of the sturgeon. Yep. Um, that has, you know, e- evolved differently. Yep. There's something there. If for hundreds of years they've been seeing creatures like this, and for hundreds of years the sightings have been the same, yeah. there has to be something there. Yeah. And understand, when we're talking about the Altamaha River, or really any southern United States river, you're not looking at pristine, clear water. No. I mean, in a lot of cases, it's either going to be really dark, or it's even going to be muddy in kind of a brown color. Yeah. Um, and that, that makes seeing much below the surface almost impossible. Yeah, think of like the Amazon River, how a lot of it is kind of muddy and churned. The the dirt mm-hmm. is churned up all the time. That's mm-hmm. what a lot of these rivers are like. It's not like the the creek in the back of your property that you can see to the bottom of. Yeah, it's yeah. you may not even see a foot down into it. Yeah, and it's and it's a big it's a big fishing river. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've said this before: hunters and fishermen and so they. They've done this long enough that they know what's out there. They know what they're going to catch. Yep. Um, they know what to expect, but they also know what not to expect. And so when, when you see these reports from fishermen of these large animals, they're seeing something they can't identify. Right, right. So that kind of makes me think, yeah, this has got to be something that we just haven't discovered because it's it moves around too much it gets mm-hmm. too deep it it's you're not going to catch it you know it's probably going to it's going to rip a line you know oh, yeah. uh, unless you're fishing with you know steel cable yeah uh, you're you're not going to accidentally stuff. pull one up in your boat right right yeah i mean you'd have to be deep sea shark gear to catch one of those accidentally and it's probably following food source. Like you said, it's a fishing river, so there's a yeah. lot of food source, so it's probably following the food source. Yeah. And you need just enough to have a breeding population to keep it going that long, and that may yeah. not be many for it. So Yeah, if it doesn't spawn like a salmon and have, mm-hmm. you know, 50 babies, Yep. you know, and maybe it only has a few. Yeah, it could spawn like the the fish in Michael's tank. It's live babies and only a handful of them. Yeah, and then it does it so often. Now I've got a tank full in there, but you know. <laughs> so that's the Altamaha. I love I it. Wonder, I wonder how many of y'all have heard of that one before. I bet you have if you live in South Georgia. Yep, if you live in Georgia, I'm sure you've heard of it. And that was one of those that I had heard of but hadn't researched a lot. And I was really excited that we were doing it because you see it, it pops up on lists of cryptids. Yeah. But it it's not a real well-known uh, cryptid. You could ask probably 10, 10 people if they'd heard about it, and I'd say eight to nine out of that 10 would never have heard of it. So 
All right. So the first one I've got, and this is also my longest one, is the Groot slang. And Matt, have you ever heard of the Groot slang? I am Groot. Slang. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I I have heard the name, uh, but I've, I've not ever looked into it. Okay. All right. That's kind of like me. I'd heard the name of it, but I had not researched it. Now, the Groot slang or the Groot slang is Afrikaans or Dutch for big snake. Now, it is a, a legendary cryptid that is reputed to dwell in a deep cave in uh, Richtersfeld, South Africa. According to legend, the Groot slang is a primordial creature as old as the world itself. And... I love that because you know me and these ancient mm-hmm. spirits and animals. I, I love that when I when you hear something about it. But the tales of the Groot slang say that the gods who were new to crafting things made a terrible mistake in the Groot slang's creation, and they gave it tremendous tremendous strength, cunning, and intellect. Realizing their mistake. The gods split the Groot slang into separate creatures and thus created the first elephants and the first snakes. And if you look at pictures of the Groot slang, it's like a long serpentine body with an elephant's head with the tusks. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's it does look like a combination of a snake and an elephant. But apparently one of the original Groot slangs escaped. And from this. Um, this was the first sire of all the other Groot slings that were born. So Groot sling is not one creature like they say Nessie is uh, to go back to the reference before. This is a species of creature as old as the world itself. Yeah. Now, it's claimed to devour devour elephants by luring them into caves. Now, the cave where this the, the Groot slings live is known as the Wonder Hole. Pause for dramatic effect. <laughs> the wonder hole. The wonder hole. <laughs> I'm not even going to make a joke that I had. <laughs> I've got a dozen already and I exactly. can't say them. Just going to pass over them. Like we've said before, do that You're joke in your head. Hole. <laughs> That's not even one I came up with, but I like that one. <laughs> Um, it's also known as the bottomless pit, um, but supposedly it connects to the sea, which is 40 miles away. Now, according to local legend, the cave is filled with diamonds. Now, it is also said uh, to live in warm rivers and lakes, so it kind of migrates uh, between this cave that's diamond-filled cave with you know water in it. Now, wait a and, minute. Okay did did you did you use like the Dungeon Master's Guide to research this. This sounds like... You know... Lives in a cave. It's a mythical creature, old as the world, and it's full of diamonds. Right. You're like, wait a minute. Right. No, <laughs> Are there two hobbits chasing this thing? <laughs> yeah, right. right. Well, here in a minute, you're going to have an elf that's got to come slay it before it can move on to the next dice roll. But no. Uh, it says... Uh, uh, it is said to be... Uh, in in some parts of the the region, it's said to be huge elephant like creature with a serpent's tail. Sometimes it's depicted as a snake with orange gems for eyes. Um, also, according to the tale, Groot slangs covet gems, particularly diamonds, um, kind of like dragons were mm-hmm. said to. Um, but despite the creature's lust for cruelty, 
Victims can often bargain for their freedom by offering a Groot Sling enough precious gems so you can buy off your safety. Because everybody just carries around pockets full of precious gems. Right, right. (laughs) That's the problem is you won't often be able to pay for your safety. But if you ever go um, exploring in this region of South Africa, carry a pocket full of gems just in case. (laughs) Got a pocket full of gems tonight. You did a song reference. I have to, too. There you go. (laughs) Um, Now, while searching for treasure in the Reichertzfeld area of South Africa in 1917, English businessman Peter Grayson disappeared after members of his party were attacked and injured by lions, prompting legends that the Groot Slang had killed him. So his Mm. party got attacked by lions, but then he disappeared. So they said the Groot Slang got him. I'm thinking maybe the lions drug him off, but yeah, right. You know. Now, according to journalist Lawrence Green, writing in 1948, sightings of the Groot Slang have been reported for uh, from almost all of the Orange River area, which rises in the Lesotho, uh, Drakensberg, and flows west across Africa into the Atlantic, particularly its most remote stretches. So when it gets way out there in the away from towns, that's where these stories mainly come from. Now, when Sir Edward James Alexander traveled through what is now South Africa, Botswana, and Namibia from 1836 to 1837, he heard that a giant snake was alleged to live in the Orange River. Quote, an immense snake is occasionally seen whose trace in the sand is a foot broad. The natives say that when coiled up, the circumference of this snake is equal to that of a wagon wheel. And when it visits the Orange River mouth, it is a sign of a good season for rain. Now, Bernard Hoovelmans, who we've spoken about before, it's the the father of cryptozoology here. And and we're going to talk about him again tonight. Yep. Yep. He's the... um, Basically, the godfather of of cryptozoology. If you haven't read Hoovelman's stuff, go do it. Um, But Bernard Hoovelman's also uh, counts Alexander's claims of, quote, alligators existing in the Orange River as a possible reference to the group slang, as wild Nile crocodiles have never been recorded in that river. So, saying maybe it's these Nile crocodiles that, People have never said live there, but maybe they do, and that's what people are seeing. But, you know. Now, archivist Reverend H.C.V. Leibrandt, who was born and raised on the Orange River, claimed to have had a possible personal Groot Slang encounter in which locals showed him a spot on the river where one had been resting. Quote, there was a clear impression of a great body, for the reeds had been flattened. However, there were still elephants in those parts, and they may have been responsible, end quote. So few people now have said maybe it's this, but it's probably this, probably a, a known species. Now, South African pioneer Dr. Hans Sauer claimed in his book um, Ex Africa, written in 1937, to have encountered a Groot slang when he was around 10 years old during the 1860s, this says. Um, at Aliwal North, close to the Drakensberg and the source of the Orange River. His publication of the incident was provoked by his reading of the Groot slang in Frederick Cornell's book. Uh, 
says, one afternoon, a group of school children, including myself, were swimming in the river as we used to, when suddenly we saw a very large black snake swimming stubbornly against the tide with its neck pricked up out of the water. The reptile was almost in the middle of the current some distance from us. It was impossible to, to, to determine how he swam if it was by means of legs or by undulating movements of the body. We all got dressed in a hurry and went home to tell the adults what we had seen. Hearing my story, my father and our neighbor, Wolf Levy, grabbed their guns and bounded uh, in a rowboat in pursuit of the animal. They could still clearly see it advancing upstream. Before they could catch up with it, the mysterious creature disappeared among the rocks and the inlets and they did not see him again. So they actually chased something in that one. Yeah. Yeah. So it makes you think that there there was or maybe even is something large in that river that people have seen for quite some time, much like the Altamaha and maybe it's just a it's a misidentified uh crocodile um you know a, a large anaconda which is not you know common in that area either um could could be a possibility i mean you know i've seen anacondas that get enormous i mean oh, yeah. just ridiculously so and we'll they're, talk but they're about usually not fast no you know, they're, no they're pretty slow moving. Uh, we'll talk about um, a snake possibility here in a second. Now, in January 1960, uh, Orangeville locals, Mr. and Mrs. C.J. Reinecke and their two children claimed to have seen a pair of, quote, swimming monsters in the Valdom. Now, Reinecke noticed a, quote, huge strange object moving in the water and by the time his wife and children had been summoned a second similar object was crossing the water at quote an incredible speed the Rhineckes estimated that the animals were some 200 feet long but only around four feet in diameter the two animals which the Rhineckes believed were playing eventually dived underwater and disappeared so 200 feet long and four feet in diameter that's some big animals. Yeah, that's crazy. Now, real quick, to end this one out, we'll look at a couple of the theories that um, have been postulated here. Now, Africa's largest known snake, the semi-aquatic African rock python, which uh, may grow up to 20 feet or much larger, is found in isolated regions of South Africa and Lawrence Green believed that sightings of very large individuals could probably explain the Groot slang. So the African rock python, possibly. Now, you got to wonder, is this python aquatic or semi-aquatic? Uh, it says it is, but eh, is it only certain? Like, I'm trying to think, is it size-related? Like at some size, do they have to spend more time in the water because they're too big or whatever? Because it says it can get up to 20 feet mm. or larger. So could it be this? And it's just giant individuals that spend a lot of time in the water to hold their body weight. And that's what um, these 
residents of the area are seeing or is it something else i don't know that's i mean you know something that that is snake like you want to always default to is it just a big snake because you know there are many species of of really large snakes uh around the world so there's always that potential yeah. it's it's the strange head that usually makes will make people yeah. go wait a minute right I've never right. seen a snake with a big giant head yeah a, a head kind of like an elephant right um bernard Hoovelman's again he actually theorized that it's possible that it could be a long neck sea serpent similar to nessie's description that's to blame for this and people just aren't seeing the body they're yeah. seeing a super long neck with this giant head and they assume it's a serpent because all they're seeing is the neck. Yeah. So I don't know. That was what uh, Bernard Bernard Hoovelman's thought, but we but don't know. That, that was that was just a theory, though. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he didn't he didn't have anything to base that on other than just thinking out loud. Right. Okay. So we're gonna we're gonna stay in Africa for this next one. This is the Emelantuka. Now, the Amelantuka is an elephant-sized cryptid that lives in the Congo and possibly Cameroon, and it's feared by natives as the elephant killer, an- another cryptid that attacks elephants. Yeah. But it's said to be extremely ferocious and will kill anything that it encounters. So people so, too, you're not safe just because you're I, a people. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, it, it, this this thing is dangerous. So the Amelantuka is claimed to be around the size of an African bush elephant. And that's, you know, 3.2 meters tall, uh, weighing in at six tons, or, you know, for the Americans here, uh, 10 and a half feet, you know, and over 13,000 uh, 13, pounds. Yeah, this is this is a big, big animal. That is big. It's brownish to gray in color with a heavy tail and with a body of similar shape to a rhinoceros, including one long horn on its snout. Supporting its massive bulky body above ground level are supposedly four short stump like legs, much like an elephant. It's described as having no frills or ridges along the neck. The animal is alleged to be semi-aquatic and feed on malambo and other leafy plants. But the um, melantuca is claimed to uh, have a, a a sound. They describe it as a vocalization, but it they say it sounds like a snort or a rumble or growl. Hmm. So it's, I would say it's probably a mixture of all those things. And that's just what people, you know, they, they catch when they make these reports. Right. Now, J.E. Hughes published a book called 18 Years on Lake Bangwalu, Bangwalu in 1933. Now, in this book, he reported that an animal that fits the description of an Amelantuka um, was slaughtered by Waushi tribesmen along the shores of the Laupula River, which connects to Lake uh, Bangwalu to 
And I, man, I was doing so good. And I get to this last one, uh, Lake Muru, M and a W together. I don't know how to say that. Right. Yeah. (laughs) But, um, but the gist of the story is supposedly these Waushi tribe members slaughtered one and J.E. Hughes got the story. And and published it. Now it wasn't called the Amelantuka at that time. They didn't have that name for it, but it fit the description that we we just talked about. Now the Amelantuka was mentioned by name for the very first time in 1954 in an article in the journal Mammalia, authored by uh, former uh, Lakula game inspector Lucian Blanco. Now, he stated that the Amelantuka was, quote, larger than a buffalo and dwelled throughout the Lakula swamps. It was also Blanku who mentioned the fact that the Amelantuka kills elephants, buffaloes, or hippos when disturbed. Now, this is also similar to the Mokele Membe. Um, yeah. Which is, which is much more popular than the Amelantuka. Yeah. I bet you we could do a, a whole episode on the Mokele Membe because there is so much on it. Right. Um, and But they they connect these two quite frequently um, in, in the research. Mm-hmm. But both animals are supposedly herbivores. They also share a fierce sense of territory, territoriality and it's for that reason that the pygmies are claimed to fear it more than any other dangerous animal. Hmm. Now, in 1930, an Amelantuka was supposedly killed near Dongu. Later evidence was contributed by Dr. Roy P. Mackle, who led two expeditions in the Congo in 1980 and in 1981, and he gathered details on various other cryptids and in, ni- in 1987, he published his book, A Living Dinosaur, where he summarizes his expeditions. Now, Dr. Mackle traveled to the Congo searching for the Mokele Membe, but he was surprised when he started hearing reports of another mysterious animal called the Amelantuka or the killer of elephants. So the natives in the Northwest region. They told how it would gore elephants with this single horn. Huh. Now, Mackle initially speculated that it was a type of ceratopsian dinosaur. But um, when the pygmies reports were, were investigated, um, they didn't remember it having a neck frill like a triceratops. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that that species of dinosaur that was kind of their their well-known feature was that big neck frill mm-hmm. this one doesn't have it triceratops is my favorite dinosaur by the way oh is it it is yeah just the anatomy of the triceratops their head it's the only head ever known that we have ever found that is connected with a ball joint rather than a spine huh so it's like your hip ball joint, right? 
and that allowed it to spin its head in so many directions for protection. It could turn it fully sideways, and then that frill would protect their neck and vital organs from raptors and T-Rex and stuff. So it it pivoted on a ball joint, and it's the only one that they've ever found like that. That's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, just a random thing I know because I like the Triceratops. (laughs) Yes, I'm a nerd. Shut up. (laughs) But... The, this description doesn't fit a rhinoceros, which has a short tail and does not have a true horn composed of bone or ivory. Right. A rhinoceros horn is composed of keratin or hair, and it, it seldom comes out the winter in a confrontation with elephants. It's yeah. that a rhinoceros horn is not really a weapon. Um, no, it would it would break long before an elephant's tusk or anything like that. Yeah, so I mean, you know, it might be handy in, you know, defense from a predator, probably its size or maybe a little bit smaller. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not necessarily going to be useful for hunting. Right. Right. All right. So let's take a second and talk about one of our longtime sponsors, AMC Shutter. Now, when it comes to movies. I like them scary good. And when I'm in the mood for a thriller or something supernatural, I bet y'all can guess where I turn. I turn to Shudder, where every week they premiere a new horror movie or series. And with Shudder, you can stream supernatural, thriller, and horror movies and TV shows across all your favorite devices. My personal favorite is the Fire Stick. Love it on there all the time. But you can also do it on any Android or Apple device you've got. Now, Shudder's streaming library has just about everything from original movies like Superhost, The Boy Behind the Door, and PG Psycho Gorman to the hit series Creep Show by executive producer Greg Nicotero of The Walking Dead. So if you're a fan of old classics or you're looking for the next classic, you're going to love Shudder's collection from around the world. They've got the favorites like Halloween and Texas Chainsaw Massacre along with must-see new releases like VHS 94 and Hellbender. And Amanda and I, we we love Discovery of Witches, and I've mentioned that several times, um, but we read all the books by Deborah Harkness, and the show is fantastic. It's extremely well done. It's really entertaining. If you enjoy witches and vampires and demons and a little bit of romance, some action, everything kind of blended in, all in this in this modern but different universe. Yeah, it's interesting you're, how they did that. Yeah, you're going to love Discovery of Witches. Isn't the finale coming out pretty soon? I think I saw I, that. It just it just came okay. the series finale was was not even a month ago. Oh, okay. So you okay. can you can go on and stream the entire thing from beginning to end if you haven't caught it, which is one of my favorite things to do. Yeah. I, I hate I hate waiting for shows. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so like we said, Shudder has everything supernatural, thriller, and horror, and you're just gonna love it. And right now you can stream your first 30 days of Shudder for free. Go to Shudder.com and use our code GRAVE, G-R-A-V-E. That's Shudder, S-H-U-D-D-E-R.com, 
and our code GRAVE, G-R-A-V-E. Stream free for your first 30 days. That's right. You can stream free for your first 30 days. Just go to Shudder.com, S-H-U-D-D-E-R.com, and use our promo code GRAVE, G-R-A-V-E. How apropos. Now, that brings me to this, the structure of the horn. Okay? So, it's debated at, between writers who have researched the Amelantuca. The debate goes like this. If the horn is ivory, then it would be a tusk, not a horn at all. Right. Which would make you think, why is it sticking out of the top of its head? It ought to be coming out of its mouth. Mm-hmm. Now, some rhinos do have tusks, especially the Asiatic one-horn type, yet they're not known to inhabit Africa. If the horn is made of bone, then the creature is a reptile, and many fossil reptile groups, such as ceratopsians, had horns made of bone. So now we're talking about more like triceratops, Adam. Yep. Finally, the horn much like, you know, a rhinoceros could be made of keratin, um, just like all other African rhinos. But without a specimen to examine, we're all just speculating. Sure. Yeah. But if you want to think of this thing as an animal, as, a, as an elephant killer, you got to think, okay, it's either got to be ivory or bone. It, it's not yeah. going to be a, a, a big Hairy horn is not going to help you right. a- attack an elephant. It's got to be something that can pierce and kill. Yeah. So it's either going to be a tusk or it's going to be a bone. Okay. Well, and you you mentioned people have thought maybe it's a dinosaur. There are a lot of stories of dinosaurs still living in Africa. And I'll be honest with you. If there was going to be. It would be in Africa. Oh, yeah. Because the not only that there's so much open space and it's such a big uh, area, but the climate of Africa is a lot like what they theorize the climate for dinosaurs was like. Yeah. Hot, yeah. humid, you know, rainy season and then dry season. I mean, it it, it matches what they think a lot of dinosaurs lived through. So maybe, maybe yeah. there is or are species of dinosaurs still living. Yeah. I, it's possible. I mean, look at a rhino. Look at a hippo or even an elephant for that matter. Mm-hmm. And you just, you know, it's, it's not like looking at a lion. I'm like, you know, a lion is a big cat. And you've got yeah. all kinds of species of cats. But when you look at those type animals, you're like, they look more like what we, you know, what our renderings of dinosaurs are, what, what, Mm -hmm. you know, can predict that they look like based on the skeletons that have been found in the fossils. So it, it it makes me think maybe this is, um, this is a descendant or an evolved version, something that actually managed to adapt to its surroundings. Yep. And change enough to persist. I mean, you know, you look at alligators. You know, they're they're virtually prehistoric. 
I mean, they've been yep. around for so long and their body, they were just able to adapt to their surroundings and, and thrive. Yep. They had the peak body design to be able to live from dinosaur prehistoric eras till now. Right. And so maybe there is another species out there like that. Yeah. Now, Michael left open the possibility that the Melantuca was age surviving uh, Centrosaurus, uh, which is a member of the Ceratopsian family. And he also had a large single horn protruding from the center of its head. Now, crypt- cryptozoologist Lauren Coleman, however, believes that it is an aquatic rhinoceros rather than a Ceratopsian which is similar to the greater one-horned rhino found in India and Nepal. Now, greater one-horned rhinos are semi-aquatic and often take up residence in swamps, forests, and riversides. So th- that, that idea says, okay, we're, we're talking about an animal that we, we don't believe is native to this area, and, and its, you know, its habitat is much further away you know, in a different part of the world but maybe maybe they managed to migrate maybe they were moved and that's what's there cuz yeah, the, the di- african rhinos are not semi aquatic yeah maybe it's divergent evolution too where the same uh body shape and and habits and everything evolved separately from the other rhinoceros species and you have an even separate species that acts the same yeah. in Africa. Yeah. All right. So next is the Inkanyamba. And we're going to stay in Africa. Uh, mine is staying in South Africa from my last one. But the Inkanyamba is a legendary serpent said to be living in a waterfall lake area in the northern forest near Pieter Moritzburg, uh, most commonly in the base of Howick Falls in South Africa. Now, the Zulu tribes of the area believe it to be a large serpent with a horse-like head. Most active in the summer months, it is believed that the Inkanyamba's anger causes the seasonal storms. So you hear that in a lot of legends that these um, cryptids or unknown creatures control weather or cause weather to happen. Mm-hmm. and the, Like the Thunderbird. Right, right. And stories like that have been uh, around for centuries. Mm-hmm. Um, but cryptozoologists have suggested that they might be a form of eel that has been augmented by local myth. Now, the, the physical description is they're serpentine, the length up to 25 feet, and head is like a snakes crossed with a horse's um, a real long neck, and then it does have a mane but it's a mane of skin. So it's kind of like some of those lizards you see that out their neck skin. Yeah. So if you, if you want to see what an artist rendering of this would be, just Google sea serpents and you'll see them. That is the traditional description of the giant sea monster Um, with not, not spikes or anything like a dragon actually almost like, webbed fin um like a mm-hmm. like a like a, a webbed dorsal fin yeah um but that that horse-shaped head which you know could be similar to a dragon 
but you know it's it's just a large serpent yeah we see that horse-like head in a lot of these um serpent uh, uh cryptids yeah. and and maybe that's saying something i don't know now it moves from one body of water to another in the summer often seen in misty conditions and it's blamed for the loss of livestock and storm damage now if we're if we believe this is a an eel species or something of the sort or a, a giant unknown relative of an eel it would make sense that it's moving during misty conditions because it needs to stay moist right so you wouldn't see it moving in dry arid conditions it would need to move when it's misty so that it didn't dry out now um it lives in the pool below howick falls um also midmar dam in the umgani river and the imkomazi river and the dams in the dargal area and all that are in the kwazul unatul province of south africa now, some significant sightings of this. In 1962, a game ranger named Buthalese saw a horse-headed animal lying on a sandbank in the uh, Umgani River. Uh, caretaker Johannes Longwain saw the Howick monster twice, both times in misty conditions in 1974 and 1981. And... In September of 1995, restaurant owner Bob Teeny saw a large serpentine animal from the viewing platform of Howick Falls. Teeny offered a reward to anyone who could produce a photo of the animal, which created a lot of media interest at the time. Now, some of the possible explanations are Nile crocodile, which is found as far south as northern Natal, but it doesn't look particularly serpentine. So don't know if that is a legitimate theory for it because most people around there would know what a crocodile looks like and they wouldn't call it a serpentine body. Um, Another explanation is the African long finned eel, which can grow up to five feet long. It's olive to grayish black and has a long dorsal fin. Um, It's found in eastern rivers of South Africa. So maybe, but I don't know how much we know about the African longfin eel and its migratory abilities once they get up that big, because it says it grows up to five feet, but this uh, in Kanyamba is supposedly a lot bigger than that. So when they get up to that, like it's up to 25 feet is what they're saying. Mm -hmm. So five times the size of one of these long fin eels. If you did have an eel that got up that big, could it migrate from one body of water to another? I don't know. So it would, to me, have to be more snakish to be able to traverse land like that. But I, I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, and uh, we've seen pictures of conger eels that are huge. Mm-hmm. So we know that there are species of eel that can get that big. Um, whether it's the ones that would have those those fins, um, 
you know, it's hard to say, but I think if, if one species of eel can grow that large, then another one probably can get pretty big too. Sure. Sure. And the third explanation is another eel. It's the giant mottled eel. Um, it has a long dorsal fin. Um, so could be that main mm-hmm. that they talk mm-hmm. about. It's possible. Um, but it said, uh, it says it's only gets up to about six feet long and it lives in rocky pools in freshwater rivers in South Africa. Yeah. So it's highly possible that it is one of these eels that has just grown large, but mm-hmm. it would have to be, this would have to happen repeatedly for these sightings to have been taking place for so long. It wouldn't be just one freak eel that got that big in the 40s and then has lived that you know what I mean? It, mm-hmm. it wouldn't mm-hmm. live that long. So yeah. it would either have to be a weird population, a different species of eel that can get that big, or this genetic mutation happens so often that you get these 25 foot long eels. Yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. But you know, it, it's interesting. I think now is a, is a good spot to mention this. You know, out of the these four that we've covered so far, um, there's that potential that it's an unidentified species. Oh, yeah. Oh, and, yeah. And to me, scientifically, that is the coolest thing about cryptozoology and why I think mm-hmm. the scientific community should embrace it more than what they do. In fact, they don't just not embrace it. They they shun it in some fashion. Yep. Um, yep. But finding new species on this planet is, you know, that's, that's incredible. You know, that, you know, humans have existed here for so long and, and these animals possibly even longer and we didn't even realize they were there. Right. Um, Right. So that's what I love about it too. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're, we're looking at, at four, you know, quote cryptids that could potentially be just different species um, that haven't been discovered that, I I love that aspect of cryptozoology, and I think at its heart, um, that is as much of a success as identifying, you know, some some mythical creature. Oh, a hundred percent. And most most of the very serious cryptozoologists, like Hoovelmans, like Lauren Coleman, that's their whole gig. Is they're not trying to out there prove that it's a mythical magical creature they're out there trying to find an unknown species mm-hmm. off of all these legends and stories by people they're like look if we've had all these legends and stories then there's got to be something yeah so let's see if there is a species that we don't know about and i i don't like when science poo-poo's all this mm-hmm. because you're potentially losing that ability to discover something new. It's not going to be a, a a magical eel that can turn into a princess if you kiss it, but it might be an eel that you've never you never knew existed, or it's a crossbreed of eels that we didn't know could mate, and it created this thing. There's you know research it, get a genetic sample and let's study it something don't poo-poo it yeah you know i think i think live eels are 
kind of gross when you look at them. You see mm-hmm. these videos of people catching these big baskets full of them? Ugh. No, yeah. But they're yeah. delicious. You know? Oh, yeah. I was going to say, I, <laughs> eel tastes good, I and it. I like eel sauce. Yeah. So, Okay, so you remember Adam said earlier, uh, you know, if some of these things are going to exist, Africa is where they're going to be. Guess what? We're we're going to stay in Africa for this next one. I, my next one, too, will be in <laughs> Africa. So. so this one is called the Dingo Neck. Now, this is the strangest one we've talked about so far. I, I assure yeah. you. Yep. Now, in the late 19th and early 20th century. I know centuries, just a little bit about this, and you're absolutely <laughs> yes, right. It is, it is, this, one is, this one is really weird. Um, but in the late 19th and 20th and early 20th centuries, European explorers ventured into the jungles of West Africa and found dozens of undiscovered species like the bongo and the yokapi. Along with confirmed species, they also brought back tales of bizarre beasts that they learned of only through African legends and brief glimpses along the shore of jungle rivers. Now, there are dozens of these, but the dingo neck, as I said, it's going to take first prize in the weirdest. Now, it's called the jungle walrus. Okay? Big game hunter Edgar Beecher Bronson described the dingo neck as, quote, 14 or 15 feet long, head as big as that of a lioness, but shaped and marked like a leopard. Two long white fangs sticking straight down out of its upper jaw, the back as broad as a hippo, scaled like an armadillo, but colored and marked like a leopard, and a broad fin tail. (laughs) Did you catch all that? (laughs) <laughs> that's a hodgepodge i mean you you if you're doing if you're the artist trying to draw this thing with somebody describing it you're keeping out oh wait 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 what what oh no it, how you're just sitting there just racing over and over mm-hmm. it sounds like your five-year-old got into your coffee and is telling you a story <laughs> yeah but it, it goes even further on this tail thing it some descriptions describe it as having a tail with a dart-like appendage that secretes a deadly toxin. So that well, you know now, that's now not good. we're you know now it's like the poisonous armored leopard. Um, yeah, you know it's really weird. But big game hunter John Alfred Jordan, you you may have heard of him before, um, reportedly shot a dingo neck with a .303 caliber rifle and hit it just behind the ear. But the creature was unfazed. It reared up out of the water, and Jordan's story ends with him running for his life. (laughs) Now, it's said to be a carnivore that can choose to hunt or devour nearly whatever it wants. This is because it supposedly has tusks that are over a meter long. And being so large, ferocious, and aggressive that even a large, even large bull hippos fall prey to it. How it would attack and kill a hippo is by ambushing it, by sneaking up on on them in the sinking its meter long tusk into the thick skin. I mean, 
you know, there really isn't anything that hunts hippos. No. You know, and we've said this before. Hippos are dangerous animals. They cause, oh, yeah. uh, they, I think they cause more human death than any other mammal. Yep. Um, so, you know, they're, they're not, they're, they're not just prey to anything. And no. but yet they could be to this. Now it lives in Lake Victoria and, and the tributaries. And there's no record of the monster having been seen in any other part of the world. It's difficult, really, to believe that a creature as large as this could go undetected with no evidence of of its existence. But Lake Victoria, the largest known lake in Africa, with an area of 25 to 26,000 square miles, was not discovered until 1858. Yeah. Now, yeah, that's you know, wild. We're talking about less than 200 years ago they discovered the largest lake in Africa. Mm-hmm. Okay? A twi- it just goes to show you what the area is like, how yeah. remote it is. Yeah. 26,000 square mile lake, it's larger than West Virginia. Mhm. Okay? And they only found Huge. it in 1858. And think about what could live in something that large. Right. That's an inland ocean. Yeah. Yeah, essentially. It's it's only it's uh it's just smaller than Lake Superior. Yep. Yep. So um the idea that the dingo neck is only found in and around Lake Victoria may seem a little strange too, but Lake Victoria has several endemic species of fish, snails, crustaceans, and spiders. Hmm. Okay. So it would not be surprising if you said, yep, the dingo neck exists and it only lives in Lake Victoria because there are a lot of other species that have that claim to fame as well. Yeah, right. Now, one particular story of a dingo neck sighting describes an eyewitness who said he saw a creature floating down the river on a big log. It had its tail in the water, but its length was estimated to be 16 feet. It had scales, spots like a leopard, and a head like an otter, but no fangs. When shot at, it slipped into the water and disappeared. Now, apart from the length that they describe, this is very similar to a Nile monitor lizard. So Hmm. without the fangs, okay, you've got that long body, okay, you've got a head that's roughly the shape of an otter, okay, and Seeing one of these sitting on a log floating down the river wouldn't wouldn't be all that out of the question, but again, we're talking about an animal that is not known to live in that area. Okay, right. it's it's right. You know, it's it's well away from Lake Victoria. First thing I thought when you said it didn't have fangs, I made me wonder if maybe if this is a legit thing. Could it be that the fangs come when it gets older? Could be. Or that only one sex has the fangs. That's and the other good sex point. doesn't. Yeah. So you know, if it's if it's real, then there could be reasons that some are seen with fangs and some are not. Yeah. Yeah. Now Bernard Huvelman's again. Um 
He believed that the dingo neck was an odd species of prehistoric crocodile. Not a bad idea here. No. Um, But he later revised this to something even more strange, which is an aquatic saber-toothed cat whose wet fur would clump and give the appearance of scales. Personally, I like crocodile better. I mean... I do, too. I, I do, too. I don't know of many aquatic cats. Um, no. <laughs> most cats just... They, they don't... Water is a necessity, and that's it. You know, they don't... They don't go and, yeah. and swim around or hang out, you know. Um, so I, I'm not... And plus... Plus, the saber-tooth cat is is another thing. There's there's really nothing that indicates that a saber-tooth cat managed to survive and hang around. I mean, you know, we've yeah. got we've got fossils of saber-tooth cats, and you know, you would think if if they had managed to to stick around, we we would have been able to figure that one out. Yeah, and I mean, I I could be so far off, but I thought that that saber tooth species uh, that we know about was only a North American, only lived in what is now North America. But you know, there could have been a different saber tooth species, whatever. But yeah, I I don't think the range fits. I I so. I I don't know. I really don't know, but I'm with you because, you know, I'm sitting here, I'm sitting here drinking out of my predators cup. And so a lot of people (laughs) don't know why the Nashville predators were called the Nashville predators. And that saber tooth tiger was their logo. It's because they discovered a saber tooth tiger skull around in and around the Nashville area. Um, so that's where it came from. It wasn't just picked randomly out of a hat. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, you know, we're we're talking about a North American creature, not an African creature. There's so many big cats, though, um, that are native to Africa. That I think there is a potential that there was one. I've just never looked into it. So no, I, I can't either. honestly say that I know. No, but I'm still with you. I don't know that that would explain, in my opinion, saber-toothed cat. With just matted fur because it's wet seems to fit. It doesn't fit, and but I I do I do like the idea of a prehistoric crocodile, um, yep. and and a large monitor lizard. Maybe not necessarily a Nile monitor, um, but another another species of monitor lizard, um, you know that maybe doesn't reproduce you know real heavily. So there's yeah. not a large population, but it, it's not like Lake Victoria is a big vacation spot either. No, that's true. I mean, so it's that's true. The population in and around there is mostly native. And so you're going to get a lot, a lot of legends um, about these creatures, but you're, you're not going to get a lot of um, modern day sightings, you know, yeah. just because there's, yep. there's right. not a lot of people that are going to visit there. You know, if, yeah. if they're going there, they have a purpose. You know, they're, sure. they're going there for research. And, you know, they're paleontologists, you know, botanists, something like that. Yep. So that's yep. that's that's the dingo neck. And it and so far it's in the lead for the weirdest one. <laughs> oh, yeah. A hundred percent. It's crazy. 
So my next one, like I said, is in South Africa. And we if we didn't have the Ultima Haha, I probably could have titled this South African Cryptids. <laughs> yeah, or I thought that too. I was like, man, unknown we- African Cryptids. But we threw in the Ultima Haha, so we, we, we won't be titling it that. Um, but this one, again, from South Africa, this is Trunco. Now, you may have heard the name Trunco because for a short period, it for some reason got popular and I was seeing things about it, mm-hmm. but not not in a long time. So let's look at it. Trunco is the nickname for an animal reportedly sighting, uh, sighted in Margate, South Africa on October 25th, 1924. According to an article entitled, quote, Fish Like a Polar Bear, end quote, published in the December 27th, 1924 edition of London's Daily Mail. The animal was reportedly first seen off the coast battling two killer whales, which fought the unusual creature for three hours. And that you hear that a lot uh, when you hear about Trunco is it was fighting these two killer whales. Now, it used its tail to attack the whales and reportedly lifted itself up out of the water by about 20 feet. Now, the the creature reportedly washed up on Margate Beach after all this battle, but despite being there for 10 days, no scientist ever investigated the carcass while it was beached. So there's no reliable description that has ever been published, and until... September 2010, it was assumed that no photographs of it had ever been published. Um, But they did find if you look up Trunco, you'll see there's at least one, maybe two pictures of the decomposing body of what they said was Trunco. And it's, Matt, did we do a Patreon on Globsters? Yeah. Okay. Um, so that's basically what Trunco ended up as was a globster, but it was seen out in the ocean before this fighting these killer whales. Now, some people who have never been identified were reported to have described the animal as possessing snowy white fur, an elephantine trunk and a lobster like tail. The carcass, when it washed up, was devoid of blood. But, I mean, if it got injured out in the water, it could have bled out enough to where when it washed up on the beach, there wouldn't be blood that you would see dripping. You know what I mean? Right. Now, while it was beached, the animal was measured by beachgoers, and it turned out to be 47 feet in length, 10 feet wide, and 5 foot high, with the trunk's length about 5 feet. Uh, five foot, five feet, whatever All a foot is. All these things we've said, and you mispronounce feet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, you know, my tongue gave up. Yeah, it just said, just, you know, you've said. Forget it, I'm out. You've said so many weird things. I'm going to say feet now. So, the trunk's diameter was 14 inches. The tail um, was 10 feet, and the fur was averaging eight inches long. So. that's a big creature, whatever Mm -hmm. that is. Yeah. And if you've got eight inch fur, snowy white fur covering the whole thing. Now, one thing I'll jump in and say is 
when we discuss globsters, scientists have said what looks like furry creatures washed up, that's just connective tissue in the muscles and fat of whales that have washed up. Mm-hmm. But this thing was apparently seen out fighting alive, not just washed up. Right. So it was said to have fur then, too. So I I don't think we can say that's what it is. But the trunk was said to be attached directly to the animal's torso as no head was visible on the carcass. So it probably did have a head, but it was probably the same width and everything else as the body. Yeah. And the only discernible difference was where it went down to the trunk. Yeah. Um, now, for this feature, the animal was dubbed Trunco by British cryptozoologist Carl Schuker in his 1996 book, The Unexplained. Now, on March 27, 1925, edition of the um, Charleroi Mail in Charleroi, Pennsylvania, an article entitled Whales Slain by Hairy Monster reported that whales were killed by a strange creature which was washed up on a beach, exhausted, and fell unconscious, but made its way back into the ocean and swam away after 10 days, never to be seen again. So there's some stories that it died, some stories that it lived for 10 days on the beach, somehow, because it... to get itself back in. And managed to get back in, yeah. So, to me... I, I would I would think if this is a real creature, that's not probably going to happen. If it's a sea creature and it washed up on the beach, it's going to end up like beached whales mm-hmm. or whatever, where they, they may be alive when they first beach themselves, but they die from the weight of their bodies collapsing and then they can't breathe or they dry out something. And that's why you have to push them back in if you want to try to save them. I don't think this thing could have lived for 10 days and then just swam off. Yeah. So I'm thinking if it's a real creature, it probably died in that fight and then it just got washed back out to shore in high tide. But I mean, what do I know? We're talking about Trunco. <laughs> right. Um, and the only explanation that I could find, the only theory was that it's an undiscovered species. Yeah. And, you know, that's a that's a good possibility because yep. of where it was seen. I mean, yep. it, it's not like, you know, the you know, the 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 Arctic Ocean out that way. Right. is going to be easy to explore um and find additional ones. And who knows? I mean, this could have been a creature that is now extinct. Um but in 1924 they just they didn't have the ability to to get out in in open water in you know the southern oceans and and investigate that there could have been more, um, right? So I mean, this one's a toss up. I mean, it's very it's a very interesting story, uh, a fascinating creature if it was real um, and mm-hmm. not just completely misidentified. I, I think it's I, it sounds really odd that no scientists went to investigate this. But we're talking about 1924, uh, you know, yep. and we're talking about something that most of them don't go to investigate anyway. They they get a yeah. report of 
what they've termed globsters and they they're like, eh, it's misidentified fat. And they again, like we said before, they poo poo it yeah. and don't investigate. Yeah. Even almost 100 years ago, they did. Mm-hmm. The last one I'm going to discuss tonight is the Congamato. Sounds like a uh, sounds like something you'd put in your salad. <laughs> it's a it's a drink like a clamato yeah you know but it's the conga motto well, you have a have a really nice uh you know blk you know <laughs> <laughs> but uh but conga mottos are large pterosaur like cryptids living in semi-tropical regions of africa uh specifically in zambia the congo and angola now the name Kongamato means breaker of boats or overturner of boats, as the Kongamatos are said to have capsized the canoes of natives and attacked people who ventured too close to the nearby rivers. It's described as a reddish lizard with membranous wings and teeth in its beak. Its wingspan ranges from 4 to 100 feet across. That that's a big gap, you know. Yeah, yeah. Four, four foot wingspan. We're talking about an eagle. A hundred foot wingspan. I don't even. I can't even begin to know what we're talking about. Yeah, no, they, we're not talking a about twenty. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, extra large seven forty seven. We're not talking about twenty to thirty feet difference. You know, uh, yeah. we're we're talking about hundreds of feet. Yeah, you know? it, it's crazy. Yeah. But the, the, the Conga motto first received widespread attention when explorer Frank Welland described it in his 1932 book, Witchbound Africa. Now, Welland writes that when shown a picture of a pterosaur, natives said that it was a picture of a Conga motto. And Welland believed this uh, because these natives would have had no prior knowledge of pterosaurs. Right nor, right. nor were they able to identify any other prehistoric creature when shown other pictures. So it, it, they're showing them like woolly mammoths and a T-Rex and all this stuff. They didn't know what those things were either. But when they showed them the pterosaur, they said, that's a Congamato. Okay. That's, that's cool. Yeah, it is very cool. I love that. So he arrived at the conclusion that this winged reptile was maybe a descendant of a pterosaur and it did indeed exist. Now we, we have, we'll get there, but we have, we have just grazed the surface of the conga motto talking about other things. Well, I don't think we've ever brought it up by name. No. Now there is a, there is a very credible account described in 1956 by engineer J.P.F. Brown, and it was near Lake Bangwelu in Zambia and reported in the April 2nd, 1957, Rhodesia Herald. Now, Brown was driving back to Salisbury from a visit to Kasinga in Zaire. He stopped at a location called Fort Roseberry, just to the west of Lake Bangwelu, to get his canteen from his trunk. It was about 6 p.m., and he saw two creatures flying slowly and silently directly overhead. 
he observed that they looked prehistoric with a long tail and a narrow head. He estimated a wingspan of three to three and a half feet. One of them opened its mouth and he described a large number of pointed teeth. Now, further reports of odd flying creatures come from the Awimba tribe that claims that they live in caves and cliffs near the source of the Great Zambezi River. In 1957, at a hospital at Fort Roseberry, the same location where J.P.F. Brown reported seeing two strange flying creatures, a patient came in with a severe wound in his chest. The doctor asked him what happened, and the native claimed that a great bird had attacked him in Bangwilu, uh, in the Bangwilu swamps. When he asked to sketch the bird, the native drew a picture of a creature that resembled a pterosaur. Hmm. Okay, so so we've got we've got three really interesting accounts with the natives identifying a a picture of a pterosaur as a congamato. Mm-hmm. We've got a well-known engineer, uh, well-respected, with a story of seeing two flying together. And now we've got an actual attack. And when asked to do a sketch of what attacked him, he drew a pterosaur. Yep. Okay. And again, I say that area, if there's going to be a relic population of dinosaur, this would be the area. And it, to me, it sounds a lot like the Papua New Guinea flying creature yep. that we've discussed before yep. that has the light on the body. Yeah, we're get we're getting there. <laughs> ah, okay, cool. Cool. Yeah, we're we're getting where you knew exactly where we were headed. Um so I'm a crypto nerd. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> so as recently as nineteen fifty eight, the science journalist Maurice Burton wrote in the Illustrated London News that there had been several reports from Africa of a pterodactyl-like creature with speculation that the the Bangwilu swamps might be one of its habitats. Now, he pointed out that off the coast of Africa, the coelacanth, a deep-sea contemporary of the pterodactyl, had been caught by fishermen. And so we, if you're into this kind of stuff, you know about the coelacanth. You know, mm-hmm. a prehistoric fish. They thought it was long extinct, and then they, they reeled one in one time. Um, I have a replica behind me, yeah. a little small replica of the coelacanth. So, you know, this the coelacanth would have lived around the time that pterosaurs lived. Yeah. So it, it, it makes you stop and go, okay. So we've all said, well, there's no way that a dinosaur was able to survive and adapt, but yet we have one that that would yep. have been right alongside of a of a pterodactyl. And it was discovered in Africa. Yep. You know. Off the coast of Africa. Yep. So Yep. Now, to the west in Cameroon, the natives describe a nocturnal bat like creature called the Alitao. Likely this is the same as the Congamato. This creature was observed by an exploration team under Ivan Sanderson in 1932. Now, he drew a sketch uh, of the creature, and it, it, it's a Congamato. 
Modern yeah. reports of the Conga motto continue to surface. And in 1998, Steve Romandi Mina, a Kenyan exchange student living in Louisiana, declared that the Conga motto is still known to the bush-dwelling people in his country. Now, as Adam alluded to, these accounts are very similar to the ones that describe the roping of Papua New Guinea, as well as several other creatures. Now, there are several historic reports of European explorers being attacked by large-winged creatures, and quite often, people were reported to have received wounds from the Kangamatos. It's thought to eat mostly fish, but occasionally humans. And the Conga motto is also said to dig up graves and steal human corpses if the burial isn't deep enough. Just like the roping. Yep. It's interesting to note that a good portion of the modern Conga motto sightings happen in prime birdwatching sites, but bird watchers never seem to report anything. And those hmm. would be the people that would probably know. And, and they're the ones looking up. Yep. Right, but it it made me remember about we we talked about um, when we were discussing the roping that these primates in Africa had actually learned to fear something above them, okay, yep. something yep. from the sky that actually fed on primates, and yep. so this this fear became genetic, and 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 it was something that carried on generation to generation to where we have this, this innate fear of things that can fly above us. Yep. Okay. Exactly. So out of all of these, I think this one is probably the most possible or at least the most plausible um, because we have number mm -hmm. one, so many reports and we have, you know, legitimate, accounts of the roping that yep. that we know about already um to believe that this absolutely could either be the same thing mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. it, it is a a cousin right and that's it i mean the the behavior of the congamato is so similar to that of the roping that it very well could be the same flying reptile as the roping but i you basically took the words out of my mouth when you said out of all the ones we've talked about this could possibly be the most probable mm -hmm. because not only the area that we're discussing it has ample place to hide it has the ability to i mean it could fly daily middle of the day and people would not see it because of how remote some of these areas are yeah. and if you talk about it eating mostly fish if you look at a lot of these pterosaur type birds what they say they ate then their anatomy was the lots of razor sharp teeth in the beak to catch the fish mm -hmm. because it would swoop down like a lot of the birds we have now and just pluck it out of the water, but it would use its beak rather than like the eagles do its yeah, feet. Yeah. Um, and it, it looks just like these pterosaurs. It, it, it's 
habits are what we think pterosaur habits were. It's region is what we think. You know, there was a Quetzalcoatlus or something Mm -hmm. like that that was supposedly over Mexico and Texas, and it was the biggest one we know of. But, you know, the the habitat is prime Mm -hmm. for what we think pterosaurs would. So I am, I, I would... I don't have much money, but I would bet $5 of my money <laughs> that this is a, that's all I got to bet. Y'all don't judge me. Um, th- that this is a legitimate yeah. creature. Yeah. And if, if you, if you, if this piques your interest, um, we talk more about the roping and, and other large bird-like reptiles in our Thunderbird episode. Um, and, and that's, that's another one that, you know, you, you really, you're getting these native American reports, you're getting these native reports out of Africa. Um, it, it it makes you kind of think this was just, they didn't understand it at the time. And it, 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 the legend turned it into a mythical creature, but it may not be mythical Mm -hmm. at all. Right. Right. Okay, so the last one I got and the last one for this episode is the Malawi Terror Beast. Now, this one gets a little graphic. So if you don't want to hear it, maybe skip this one. If you got kids listening and they might, I'm not going to go into crazy detail, but it does get a little graphic on some of the reports here. So just be forewarned. Now, the Malawi Terror Beast is the name given to an unknown cryptid that caused widespread panic and chaos in rural Malawi during the early months of 2003. So this one is it's recent, pretty yeah. recent. Now, in 2002, there was a, quote, mysterious beast in the Doa district that killed five people and maimed more than 20 others before being shot to death by game rangers and some paramilitary police. Now, it resembled a spotted hyena, but its hind legs were a lot longer, they said. So, not exactly a hyena. Or if it was, it was a mutated one. Mm -hmm. Now, in the district of Doha, 100 kilometers north of the nation's capital, uh, Lilongwe, reports emerged of a rabid animal with hyena-like features attacking and mauling members of the region. The unidentified creature attacked 19 residents of Malawi, killing three. Now, while this might not seem too insane for a country plagued with wild animal attacks, this says, it was the brutal ways in which these people were killed and maimed that has struck fear into the hearts of the entire nation. The three deaths were of two elderly women and a three-year-old baby. Each had their skulls completely crushed in and their intestines and private parts were devoured by the beast. So that's not normal behavior for most wild animals. Says those lucky enough to survive their attack suffered horrific disfigurements, which local scientists analyzed in an attempt to identify the beast. Several victims lost, lost both legs and hands. Two lost both ears and eyes. One unfortunate woman had her nose and mouth torn out by the creature. Yeah. Now, this says the gruesome. Yeah. This says the gruesome style of selective disfigurement is more reminiscent of sadistic human killers 
than any of the killings by any crazed animal. And that's true. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we don't see animals selectively targeting parts like this on most live anything. You know, they'll kill and they might eat the liver, but the cheeks and eyes and stuff, that's usually birds that will get those. Now, in the wake of the attack, over 4,000 people left Doha, left the Doha area to take refuge in town halls, only returning home after armed guards and a sustained presence by local gamekeepers, the police and factions of the Malawi army. Now, those who saw the animal dismissed claims that it was a hyena due to its large hind legs. Many local residents believe that the unknown animal is the soul of a similar beast that was killed a year before, um, like we said, uh, that had slain five people, and that it returned to exact revenge upon those that claimed its life. To this day, what the beast was or where it went remains unsolved. Now, the first animal was officially identified as a spotted hyena, and the second was speculated to be a spotted hyena by government agencies. However, some survivors claim that the terror beast hind legs were longer than a hyena, so it couldn't be a hyena. Um, now, there is another man-eating hyena-like creature, the Nandi bear, mm-hmm. that's reported from East Africa, which I think we've touched on but not talked yeah. about. Um, but it's similar to that. So it's a hyena-like creature, but... It's killings and its vicious nature are what make most people think it's not a hyena. Plus, it's proportioned differently. So there again, could it be a prehistoric type creature? That because there are prehistoric uh, mammalian creatures that look similar to hyenas that have been discovered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, I mean this is this is interesting because unlike the other, we it, this is a this is a one time event. Yep, um, yep. You know something that happened that that makes me think more. If it if it's not a hyena, it's something similar. Um, you know, may maybe it was it had a generic a genetic uh, issue. Caused mm-hmm. it to have longer hind legs, caused it to be much more aggressive. Um, but of course, you know, in these in these areas of of Africa, these the native legends that come out are um, pretty fascinating. With the idea that this could have been the soul of of a a hyena that they killed a year before, coming back to get revenge. Yep. Um, yep. You know what makes me question the hyena thing though is the type of attack right yeah um, because the people that lived you know they lost nose and mouth or they lost ears and eyes if it was a um a wild creature then they usually go for the intestines yeah. where the most nutrition and meat is mm-hmm. so it makes me wonder was it like because there can be issues with animals' brains that cause them to not act like a, a 
normal member of their species. Mm -hmm. So could this have been a genetic issue with this one hyena that, like you said, the genetic issue caused the longer legs, but did it also affect the brain in a way where it was killing for fun and not for food? Right. Good point. Hey, Adam, when you were in school, did did you have a favorite teacher? I did. I did. Yeah. And I bet you did really well in their class. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Better yeah. than any other classes. Yeah. It, it doesn't really matter what subject it is. If you connect with the teacher, then you're going to excel. And when you're trying to learn something new, like a foreign language, having a really good teacher that you connect with is critical to your mastery of that language. Now, the difference that a, te- a good teacher makes is just immeasurable. And the attention to detail, instant feedback, and the passion they have, I mean, there's just nothing better. And if you're the kind of person who learns best from another real person, and you want to learn a new language, then it's time for you to discover Preply. I mean, Sure, being self-taught, using apps or, or, or getting books or, or cassettes or CDs, whatever. I mean, they, they've been out for years and years and years. But it's, it's like learning a new recipe or learning how to do plumbing work. You know, have you ever tried to learn a new language when you're talking to an expert tutor? I mean, that's just phenomenal. To, to know that you're doing things right and you get that feedback and, and it's so critical when you're when you're trying to master something as as hard as learning a new language. Oh sure, sure. And the thing is, have you ever tried to sound out like German or Arabic or Mandarin? If you've tried to teach yourself some of the languages throughout the world, you'll realize it's not easy and it's time to try preply. And I know for me I knew Spanish when I lived in Texas the first time. When I moved to Tennessee, I lost it. Well, when I came back, I wanted to relearn Spanish. So the way that was easiest for me was to get preply and to learn Mm -hmm. from a tutor that spoke fluent Spanish and could go, no, Adam, that's absolutely not how you say that. You say it like this. Because I'd be going around saying, you know, mispronouncing something terribly. And if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't know it. I'd read it yeah. and go, oh, yeah, hablamos. And they're like, no, it's it's hablamos. And you, you need the tutor to really help. Yeah, you're saying you're, you're not asking him where the bathroom is. You're asking him why he has a fish in his pocket. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> that may come in handy at some point, but not for this situation. So learning a language is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And if you want in on the secret to the commitment to make it stick, you need preply. And self-learning of a new language is bound to end in failure because the secret to successful language learning is commitment. And the learning is driven by real expert tutors, like we said, and you'll get this if you go to preply. It's just like working out. If you're working out, you need a coach or you need somebody there to keep you in line and make sure you do the right thing and stick with it. Preply is the way to go. 
Yeah, Preply helps you learn to confidently speak any language through live one-on-one sessions with real expert tutors. Self-guided learning can be challenging to stick with, and most language learning apps are a one-size-fits-all. Plus, in-person learning can be expensively complicated at best. With Preply, you'll discover a tutor and an interactive learning platform where learning becomes a passion, not homework. Preply's one-on-one approach with 50,000 expert tutors from over 203 countries is your ticket to mastering any language you choose. From immersing yourself in the new culture to succeeding in your career or simply getting unstuck on a word you don't understand, Preply teaches you to speak a new language naturally. So you can book a private tutor today at preply.com grave and get 50% off your first lesson for a limited time. Learn languages online with the world's best tutors for half off at preply.com slash grave, G-R-A-V-E. That's right. Graveyard Tales listeners can book a private tutor today at preply.com slash grave and get 50% off your first lesson for a limited time. Learn languages online with the world's best tutors for half off at preply.com slash grave g-r-a-v-e so well i don't know and you got to think a wild animal attack they attack for essentially two reasons defense yep or hunting yep and so do do you, do they attack humans um because it's become a potential food source for them or did these these attacks occur because this particular creature got displaced and now it's defending its territory either mm-hmm. way the injuries that were sustained they don't match with either one of those you know we, no. adam's already mentioned as far as a, a hunting animal would go, it's not going to attack all those different places. That's not where the meat is. Even if you're talking yep. about, you know, if it attacks a human like it would, like an elk or, you know, a buffalo or something like that, it's going to go for the the big meaty parts. It's not yep. going to worry about gnawing on your face. There's no meat there. Right. You know, so... It doesn't make sense that it, it was hunting at all. So you, you go to defense, but in a, in a defensive attack, it, you may have those type of, of wounds, but it wouldn't be to that extent because it's right. going gonna, it's gonna to attack either until you go away or until you die, and then it's done. It's protected mm-hmm. its territory. It it has no reason to sit there and and chew on you. Now, yeah, mutilate. Could, could other animals could could um, you know, other scavengers have have come along? Sure, but I think they would have noticed evidence of that because they would have been familiar with what that looked like based on other animals that were found dead in that region. I mean, right, you, and it's these people that lost the the eyes and ears or both arms and legs they survived yeah 
So it wasn't like a scavenger actually came and plucked out their eyes after this. The Malawi terror beast killed them. The beast itself, they said, did that. Yeah. So, and, you know, if you're still alive, you know, you're not going to lay there long enough to go, I'm going to let this bird pick out my eyes. Right, right. So this this is a really, it's a crazy story. Um, I, I tend to lean towards the hyena, you know, with yeah. with some kind of issue. Yep. <laughs> it it, it yep. didn't didn't socialize well. <laughs> Doesn't yeah, play it, well it, with it, others. It's a it's a serial killer hyena, yeah. basically. Yeah. But I don't know. It it was it was crazy. So that's one I wanted to add just how crazy that one was. But like I said, most of these in Africa and you know, if you live in Africa, South Africa or whatever, you may have heard of these and they may not be unknown to you, but probably to the rest of the world, these are lesser known cryptids. Yeah, you just don't hear as much. There's not as much information about them. Um, but the, like I said, these stories are, are really good. They're worth talking about. And, mm-hmm. you know, we, we've picked up on several that are potentially unidentified, uh, misidentified species, uh, undiscovered species. Or even one that is potentially very real. So yeah, absolutely. I think this was this was a good show um, to just you know hit on some things that our listeners probably haven't come across. Right, right. So we hope you enjoyed listening to all these stories of cryptids that you probably haven't heard of. We certainly enjoyed researching them. Um, if, if you have a, a lesser known cryptid that, that you have heard about, maybe you grew up, uh, hearing about a, an odd creature that was from the area where you lived, uh, let us know. And one of the best places to do that is in our Facebook group. Um, it, it's one of the best groups out there. Uh, we have a lot of fun. It's very, very active and it's a safe place to come and share those stories without having to worry about yep. being picked on or made fun of. Um, exactly. You can also check out our um, website, which is graveyardpodcast.com. And there you can find links to purchase Graveyard Tales merchandise. You can listen to the show, learn a little bit more about Adam and myself, and you can also become a patron. And we really appreciate everyone that takes the time to donate to the show. You get some, oh, yeah. some really good bonus content, bonus episodes, you get videos. Um, we try to make it worth your while because we appreciate uh, the the money that you send our way. It helps us continue to make bigger and better content for our listeners. Uh, don't forget to rate and review us on, uh, on iTunes because that helps bring the show up the charts when people search. Um, and that just allows more people to come into the graveyard. Right. So until next time, we'll save you a seat in the graveyard. See you soon.